0: Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week, we bring the most interesting conversations from around the media industry, and today we're looking back at some of the standout stories that have shaped the media industry this year. This is our last podcast of 2021, and we have a special guest joining us. David Svedon is a journalist and digital strategist who specializes in subscription strategy, newsletters, podcasts, content, and distribution. He's also a regular contributor to The Fixed Media, which is a trade publication like us focusing on cracking the media management puzzle through insights, solutions and data. David and I are both putting out a version of this podcast on our respective channels today. If you want to check out his take on the conversation, head on over to the Media Insider podcast, available on all the main platforms that you find your podcasts on. Coming up, we're talking about subscriptions and memberships, newsletters and audio. The platforms for growth, the trendsetters, the words of caution, and what matters for next year. While I've got you, if you want to jump on the podcast with me next year, do drop me an email on jacob at journalism.co.uk. Anyway, don't go anywhere, all of this is coming up after a quick word about the sponsor of today's episode. This journalism.co.uk podcast is supported by Memberful, which is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience you can monetize your fantastic newsletters through Memberful with no need to connect to a third-party email provider. Try it for free on memberful.com, where you can also take up pro and premium plans to really start cranking up and customizing your membership offering. David, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here.
1: Thank you, thank you. I'm excited to be here and you know try this new experiment of... Uh yours and ours
0: it's great to collaborate on this and we'll we'll just see how it goes won't we how is work at the moment what's the working situation like for you
1: you know the past couple of weeks have been just like working on all kinds of listicles like you know like the year end in podcasting journalism newsletters and so on so and uh, preparing for holidays you know when when this is this period when you work like double shifts so that you can take two or three weeks off um, I'm 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 sure it's been uh, some somehow the same for you guys, right? Oh, absolutely,
0: yeah. So you're you're looking forward to starting the Christmas break, having some time off after what is a very long year.
1: I believe, uh, yes, yes, definitely. And um, I believe because of the pandemic, that the the years just got longer <laughs> somehow. <laughs> Um uh, I remember when I was doing this this uh, listicle for my newsletter uh, uh, like the biggest things in tech and in January of this year uh Twitter banned uh, Donald Trump and when I was talking to people about that they were like oh th- that happened this year I thought it was like you know years ago so we've kind
0: of reached the second year where coronavirus has been a thing for the media industry what do you feel has been the impact that coronavirus has had this year? What 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 are some of the standouts for you?
1: There has been this great report by the Reuters Institute for study of journalism, which uh, you guys covered pretty extensively also at Journalism uh, uh, dot, uh, Co. Dot UK um, have a mouthful, that one, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, it is. Um,
0: <laughs> it took me a while to get used to it. <laughs>
1: Uh, anyway, uh, work from home has been a constant topic from like throughout the whole year. Um, uh, and I've been looking at not only media but also technology companies uh, how they've been trying to figure it out. And uh, surprise, surprise, they still haven't figured it out. How did you feel about this topic? You know, covering it uh, throughout the year.
0: Yeah. I think the the number was quite interesting that the Reuters Institute came out with. 57% of news organizations still haven't figured out hybrid working, despite most of us being thrust into it. I think the key thing that's come out of it is just pros and cons, basically. while it certainly forced the issue to improve and um, make processes more streamlined out with, you know, just doing things for the sake of doing them. It's also brought on a lot of other consequences to do with mental health, to do with uh, online abuse, to do with people feeling isolated in the newsroom. And um, all of the answers to these very complex questions, it's just still not very clear. That's That's kind of the thrust of it
1: uh the, the the report by the Reuters institute had a really great chart in it uh, where they summarized like what are the you know gains and losses uh from remote and hybrid working obviously uh, many of the newsroom said uh or newsroom leaders actually managers said uh, you know efficiency got better uh for some reason, they actually said like employee well-being got better. You know, they were home with the families. Uh, uh, you, you don't have to uh, commute up and down, so that you know spares you some few hours.
0: Well, well, that much is definitely true on a personal level for me because I'm more around my families, and now I don't have to run to get the bus into Brighton. So um, yeah, it's it's being late for work is not really a thing anymore.
1: <laughs> but what was surprising for me? Um, uh, because this is not the first year we live in a digital world um many uh newsroom leaders and managers said uh the communication got like so much worse uh throughout uh, the pandemic uh, while you know uh, working can get uh, this hybrid working condition and that was a bit surprising to me i mean Surprising and not surprising. Surprising in in that that we're deep into the digital age and we still haven't figured out how to best communicate. Um, I'm sure you got this throughout the year. Like you sent a message to someone and then they uh, misunderstood how you meant the message. You know they maybe seen a an underlying uh, you know tone in there which you you didn't mean to put in there.
0: there's, there's something about the written medium which just isn't optimized the, the the convenience point is an interesting one because in theory working from home should be like this luxury right and people kind of see it this way but if you're struggling you kind of don't allow yourself to struggle in that sense like I shouldn't be struggling I get to work from home I'm in the comfort of my four walls but if you're finding it hard it's kind of that stigma is still there
1: yes uh, e- exactly and actually even like verse uh, like the point which, you know, more of them uh, pointed out uh, Gutverse was creativity, which means not not like creativity in the world of like, oh, I, I you know, wouldn't come up with my own ideas, but uh, I, I would uh, actually attribute it together with collaboration, like, you know, when there are two people in the room, things go better. So I have like a partner which I use, um, which like we are doing a project, a long term project together and when we met in person like oh there were like ideas flowing and then he was very opposed to the idea to you know go online and do this online but we had to because of the pandemic we we just couldn't meet and uh i mean it's not the same but i feel like we figured it out to a to a point but there's like still something something missing and you kind of like have to like work a little bit more uh to understand what the other person is is trying to say and also when you're at home and you're looking at your computer like there are notifications there's your phone there is your family knocking on the door uh there are the neighbors who who you know are sometimes doing noise and and all these things you you don't uh no, uh...
0: It's 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 a nightmare to record podcasts from home, isn't it? I mean, I've been sat here trying to record and somebody's mowing the lawn across the across the road or something like that, and it's um, comes with its hidden challenges. I would put it that way. You mentioned the the Reuters digital news report. One of the things which I found very surprising about that was that, at least in the UK, trust has increased by about eight percentage points. That still means that it's languishing around. 36 percent which is really low trust towards the media but um at least in the uk we've seen there's been potentially a lot of good reasons not to trust the news um you think about the martin Bashir scandal you think about kind of the hello goodbye of gb news yet for some reason in covid people are still finding reasons to trust the news there's been this renewed sense of mission at least what we've seen um so despite those kind of reasons not to trust the news people are starting to kind of be one back it seems as have you seen something similar or different uh
1: yes the the i, I think um the, the digital news report from reuters um uh highlighted this as well uh that the trust in you know uh, these uh, legacy uh, media publication uh has uh, increased uh, like people turn to them more and more and uh, uh which was uh, not really st- like surprising, but on the other hand, uh, like the previous years, you have seen people uh, looking towards social media, and actually uh, there was this question uh, in in there uh, where they asked people in different countries what do they think is the biggest you know uh, reason why misinformation disinformation hoaxes spread, and it was like social media, they were worried of social media. so I think that might be one of the factors, like why people turned more to media
0: yeah uh, it's for me it's like this renewed sense of mission has manifested in both legacy news organizations as well as new startups so and it's not specifically just around covid either i think like take the ft for example they've been on this really big like climate change drive their coverage around COP 26 they you'll know they have this hard pay gate across the site they they um, took that down for almost two days to to show off their climate journalism um, and that's just born out of their desire to give access to this important topic that's just kind of quite different and it's quite an interesting experiment when when
1: you when you mention climate change and climate reporting I'm, I'm curious it's been a big topic in the media reporting what you do what what we do at the fix um, uh, you know it's, it's it's been a constant topic there um, but i'm not sure how much of a topic it was in you know in the circles outside of media hmm. uh, you know what i mean like whether do you feel there was a change in like how people see uh climate change definitely the younger generation like there's like there's this like understanding like younger people get this like this is an issue and and
0: what well, they call this the greta effect right younger people um are really resonating and 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 You know coming to this topic because it seems to be just so much more important to their lives this is something they've got to live with for the rest of their lives right um and so yeah um in in response i think news organizations have created all these different parts of their operations dedicated to climate journalism right climate verticals climate hubs climate whatever but i think what we're seeing now is that climate is uh penetrating all sorts of other industries and, and beats like, I don't know, health and tech and travel and what have you. So I think what we'll continue to see is kind of the blurring of the lines, more climate journalism actually entering into other beats. And that for me is the interesting development.
1: Also, you guys have the job boards and like uh, newsrooms looking for a climate reporter or, uh, you know, climate correspondent. I, I don't know if you have the the, the the stats for that, but I have seen it like all the time with open positions
0: yeah i mean there's there's been all sorts of there's been all sorts of industry first positions i mean this year we had uh the first race correspondent hired in in for the independent nadine white which was kind of a big move only a few months ago uh reach plc hired an, an online safety editor there's kind of been a lot of new interesting positions which which we'll keep an eye on um but uh yeah specifically about the climate one um yeah it's 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 one that i think news organizations can no longer ignore I, I spoke to someone at the times and sunday times about this and they kind of said there was a time when you'd never get a climate story on the front page of a newspaper but now that's absolutely possible you know the tide has really changed and it kind of follows the political world doesn't it of journalism when it's in focus in the political arena journalism will kind of follow suit naturally in response to that and because it's been in, in such you know high attention with with COP, that's that's kind of why you're half seeing um, the prominence of the subject, I think. But th- th- that's kind of one example of, of kind of the mission sense coming to the fore. The other one, I don't know if you followed it, in the UK was, at least last year, how the Society of Editors was caught in this storm around saying that the UK industry was not bigoted or racist, and that led a number of people on the board of um, editors to to resign. One of those was Eleanor Mills, who worked for the Times and Sunday Times for about 20 years. And she went on to create her own new startup this year called Noon, uh, with diversity at its core. Uh, That was dedicated for women in midlife who were not just ignored from the mainstream media, but actually not treated correctly by the mainstream media. So I think, again, this is an example that mission led journalism really has been something we're seeing time and again. At the core of new revenue strategies new projects new publications entirely
1: i mean when you're mentioning scandals in media it, it has been a handful this year again uh so so famously there's been the issue of the build editor uh who was suspended after reporting from the new york times which is very curious uh that you know a force outside of europe caused a uh, high profile Uh, European you know the editor of builds to finally resign after scandals have been uncovered also by German media uh, which (laughs) begs the question how how influential is getting the New York Times uh, within Europe I think that's one of the definitely bigger topics uh, coming in not only this year but uh, f- the following years also we have seen the new york times gained 1 million international subscribers uh you know today are 8.3 million subscribers that they ended the year with and uh when you look at the uh, streaming platform netflix they break out how many of their 200 million subscribers and are in which region. New York Times isn't doing that, but I would love to see that. How many of those subscribers uh, of that million are coming from Europe? Because it's it's going to be you know a challenge for uh, the newsrooms over here.
0: That, that's very interesting because in the UK people don't really pay for news content. I think about 8% pay for news, whereas in the US it's like 21%. So that move into Europe and there are a lot of high paying areas in europe of course you know you, you look to scandinavia you look to germany and <clears throat> elsewhere it's it's the other way around for me in some ways because a lot of british news organizations look to appeal to the us crowd to do it in reverse is kind of interesting to me
1: it's, it's so much different because you have the trusted uh and, and you know uh, well resourced bbc okay well resourced in terms of you know i'm looking at bbc from the point of view from someone living in Central and Eastern Europe where, uh, you know, the public media is uh, usually underfunded and not trusted that uh, that much. And, you know, the BBC has history and everything like, and anytime I speak to anyone from public media, they say, oh, we would love to do it like the BBC, but we just don't have the resources. So so I get that there's a struggle for, for news media in UK to uh, differentiate, but still when you look at, uh, and actually after the, U.S. Uh, websites like the the Times, Washington Post, uh, um, uh, Wall Street Journal. In the top ten, there are like three free uh, news media from uh, U.K., which are uh, you know the top of the top uh, in terms of like getting new subscribers. Just recently, the the Guardian uh, I think uh, um, hit this this big milestone. Yeah, they did. Uh, 1 million, uh, one million um, recurring uh, members. How
0: have you kind of seen the subscription slash membership conversation change this year? What what else has, has piqued your interest?
1: I think this year was the year when also uh, smaller newsrooms and as you said, like mission driven uh, news outlets, um, I don't want to say they figured it out how to, uh, you know, lean on into uh, reader revenue because it's obviously it's hard, but nowadays you have like so much um, technology you can start with. So when you look five or 10 years ago, those news outlets who wanted to start re- like and, and rely uh, primarily on reader revenue, they had to build their own technology stack and now it's been less in europe i think and more in the us but uh, you have seen these uh, small newsrooms or like independent reporters and writers get around and just like start uh, you know something on substack or ghost or all these uh, newsletter first platforms that have emerged um, and and basically you can put uh, 3 4 uh, writers together you start the substack and you have the very basic tools at your disposal. You can have a website, uh, you can have it on your own domain. Uh, you can um, uh, send out newsletters. You can have like multiple newsletters under one roof, multiple writers. Um, you can start multiple podcasts under one roof and you don't need to you know pay anything to start. And that has been one of the struggles before, because if you wanted to do something, which is paid, um, most of the tools were, you know, you had to pay from the get-go, I realize I'm making it sound like super easy. Like everyone can do it. And like, obviously there is a problem with local news. There is a problem with, uh, regional news. I'm just saying the tools, like uh, from the point of view, the technology tools got like much more accessible. Yeah. And and you have these resources, the, the, the membership puzzle project just ended after four years of run. And you have like so many resources which they left there just, you know, for someone to pick it up and, and start experimenting. I think I think the, the other side of
0: the conversation is really interesting that people who do have the tech and do have the resources can really make this work very well. I think we've seen a much more sophisticated conversation around sub, um, subscriptions and memberships with um, two kind of examples come to mind. One is from Canada and the Globe and Mail, who have this um, AI-powered model called Sophie, which can basically target readers who will pay and, and ignore the ones who won't. So um, people who have a high propensity to pay, they'll uh, ask to pay very early. People who they feel will never pay, they'll just won't even bother them. If it's unsuccessful, they'll shift to maybe ask them to sign up to a newsletter or something else. And this has been great for like uh, registrations, loyalty, conversion, visitor engagement, all increasing quite significantly. On the other end of that, uh, I look to someone like the Daily Maverick in South Africa, again, very inspired by the membership media puzzle you just mentioned. And they've got this pay what you can model, like a sliding scale where their readers can just chip in and pay whatever they can. Because in South Africa, of course, the ability to pay for news content is very varied. Some Not everyone can pay Basically, the idea is there's a mission there at the heart of it and you and you support what you can. Um, and so with the right tech, with the right sort of resources, like you mentioned, with the right kind of mission in mind, you can kind of make these models work. And it's, of course, making it sound easier than it, of course, is. But um, there are examples, good examples this year that uh, memberships are memberships are are kind of working. But I'm also wondering, are you starting to see the subscription fatigue?
1: Um. Depends on where you look. So there's this example uh, in the beginning of the year, uh, the CEO of Bloomberg said they want to end the year with 400,000 Uh, paying subscribers so they have a thriving b2b business uh you know with Bloomberg terminal but they wanted to also build their b2c segment with you know reach like basic subscribers or or as, as you and I or maybe some more high profile managers uh than than we are but uh they ended the year uh with 350 thousand and now you can argue people are a little bit you know i'm 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 not don't want to say fed up with the pandemic because we are uh, but it, it's just like when you feel it every day it's just like everyone has a certain you know uh it's it's enough for me others have also like uh, not really reached all, all their goals i've spoken to some of the you know media execs in in this region and uh, everyone said a bit I would say a more ambitious goals in 2020 after seeing how it all accelerated. I, I feel like when we look at subscriptions and like a subscription fatigue in media, we like to look at just from the point of view, like media, but people have also, they're paying for Spotify, they're paying for Netflix. There's also like quite a big competition going over there. Like, okay, so now if Disney Plus enters your market, Obviously, you have to have also Disney Plus if you have children, right? Like, I didn't hear anyone with children saying like, oh, I'm not going to pay for Disney Plus. Of course, you are going to.
0: There's only so many subscriptions you want to see leave in your bank account, right? I mean, after a while, you start thinking, I don't really need this anymore. Um, I think what your point kind of speaks to, and I I said earlier that um, willingness to pay for news in the UK was really low. And I think the conversation has changed to, are you giving them a good reason to pay like if you're just going to put something there to pay it or don't access that kind of doesn't really work for people anymore you've got to give them a good reason to and i think the examples i mentioned with the and mail the daily maverick they're either using tools to give them a good reason to pay like serving up them more of what they want or it's it's not a transaction it's like an emotional purchase it's not coming out of the subscriptions part of their budget it's coming out of their goodwill part of their budget if that makes sense and i think that's that's very different
1: yeah yeah i I totally um agree with you uh the the topic of communicating what's your mission and what's what's the reason uh, why people should pay for your articles for content even though i don't like the word content it's definitely became even more uh, i would say important in 2021 than before
0: I'd love to move on to like newsletters, uh, because that's obviously tied into subscriptions as well. One of the key examples that I've seen is from Quartz this year. When I interviewed them, they said about three quarters of their um, members were converting from newsletters. And so as a result, they've um, really tweaked their membership offering to offer more like exclusive newsletters. This is a big, big focal point for them plenty of other examples that we've seen, like from the Washington Post. I think they're up to about 50 different newsletters now (laughs) in all the ones. We've covered quite a few new ones this year as well. Um, Talk to me about newsletters uh, and kind of what you've what you've seen, the exciting opportunities and um, where you see this going.
1: So 2021, from from the point of view, what I have seen was uh, the the point where many, not only just like small and medium publishers, but really big publishers who have been doing uh, newsletters for a while and, you know, you can argue they have figured it out. Uh, they have revamped their strategies. You have seen the New York Times, who has put a couple of their newsletters behind behind the paywall or made them uh, subscriber only. They added new newsletters. Uh, uh, for example, Bloomberg, which I mentioned before, they leaned into personality-driven newsletters. Um, uh, you already mentioned the Washington Post. What is what is interesting about the Washington Post? They had this 202 newsletter uh which they're really made into a franchise which which is another uh trend i think it it wasn't such a big trend i've only few publishers seen but i would love to see more publishers lean into in in the following years basically when you create kind of like a brand within your brand and you lean more into that brand because you understand, like, okay, it's like people are drawn to the big brand, but but maybe it makes sense for them to like really specify, you know, like these are the politic junkies or news junkies.
0: Well, I mean, it's all they're also driven by big personalities, and one of their most recent newsletters was called uh, "How to Read This Chart," and it's written by Philip Bump, who's a really really um, popular national correspondent think getting those big names those big faces on the on the newsletter is 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 again a um at least a tactic i've seen deployed and because it, it's almost like substack, isn't it you you've you follow the big names the people the writers that you care about and i I know you have a lot to say about Substack as well.
1: Uh, yeah, before before I get to Substack and and uh, the other platforms, I just want to uh, call out uh, we we had a really good piece at, on on the fix about Funke Median in in Germany who've been doing like really well mm. at, um, in terms of like converting uh, unregistered readers to registered users and from registered users to to you know actually subscribers like paying subscribers. Yeah, and um okay so if you have uh x number of uh newsletter uh subscribers you can almost you know get to this number of how many percent of them you can translate into subscribers and if you get that you can better figure out your strategy in going forward i think it's good to get these industry numbers so uh, i think from comedian has said they've said that um they will uh, within 6 months they will um uh, convert their newsletter subscribers to you know paying subscribers uh, in the amount of 5 to 10% which is super great and it's actually a good segue to substack which also says um when you're setting up a paid newsletter uh you can count you know something around 10% that you will you know convert Those um, those followers of your newsletter to to paying subscribers, but it's tricky.
0: That's interesting because um, one Substack publication I've noticed in the UK, and they'd got this one million dollar Substack initiative, uh, the Substack Local, right, to help um, more independent writers start uh, sustainable enterprises. One of those was called The Mill here in the UK based in greater manchester and just on that 10% thing it's quite interesting last time i spoke to them this year i think back in august they had 1000 paying members and 14000 non-paying so it's it's almost in that 10% kind of thing it's it's an interesting alignment what they've been able to do from there is actually release sister titles in sheffield and liverpool of of this year and and back end of last year so substack is literally creating new um media outlets, and these are run by, you know, genuine bona fide journalists. And and that's an exciting trend,
1: really. So now we're getting to an interesting point where you're sitting in the UK and I'm I'm here in Slovakia and Bratislava, and actually from my point of view, Substack as a technology is great, but you know what is it not great in? So something like that, which you just mentioned, they they've managed to do in in the Manchester area. It wouldn't be possible in Slovakia because you cannot like there is not a language option for Substack. Even though the initiative you mentioned, uh, I think one of the winners was also coming from uh, Romania, I think um i reached out to him he didn't get back to me but i was curious to ask because he wanted to do something locally and again it's 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 tricky it's tricky when you're trying to reach people in a local language and i and not everyone speaks english uh, when it comes to billing and all these automated emails that come, there's no way to translate them into your language. So you end up sending people, you know, messages in English, which you know they will
0: that they can't understand. And if it's obviously important billing information, that's no use to them. Right. Let's let's move on to audio, because um, I know this is something you've covered extensively. Um, you know, so much to talk about from Apple to Spotify. Twitter Spaces, Facebook Rooms, give us give us the top lines. What's what's really caught your eye this year?
1: Okay, so if I were to select only like three big topics in audio this year, it it uh, definitely number one the hype around Clubhouse and social live social audio. Um, There is there's this. Really good chart which anyone can uh, actually look at when you go at uh, trends.google.com and you enter Clubhouse and uh, you put it on worldwide, you will see like this big peak around February and then just like straight down. Clubhouse, the social social network, uh, which uh, set their audio first and live first, um, uh, they actually gained four billion US dollars valuation this year. And there was a big hype in the beginning of the year. Um, everyone wanted to be involved in, in Clubhouse. Everyone wanted to speak there. There was a you know a closed beta, as it is called, uh, which meant that you only could enter if you got invited. And it was only on iOS, which is interesting. From the point of view of US, that's okay, because uh, more than half of the population has uh, iPhones. But when you look at uh, Europe, for example, 80% of, of people in Europe have Android phones. So I think they introduced an Android version all the way in in April or, or May. Uh, there has been a, a peak in, in people's interest. so people with Androids uh, finally downloaded uh, the app, but there was nothing happening. And again, uh, I think it was The Verge, uh, which you documented, that there were... Not very successful at uh, driving, you know, advertisers to the platform, which was one of the promises. the the This young generation of creators and not only writers and media is looking to to social networks, and they're looking uh, at the, the the monetization options first. So, so, so definitely the the hype of Clubhouse. It produced uh, Facebook audio rooms, a clone of Clubhouse, Twitter Spaces. You know, from my point of view, Twitter Spaces is doing the best um in in terms of like i see it happening in my feed sometimes i'm interested they are being recorded so you can go in and 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 listen to to the recordings of of spaces linkedin actually announced at the time that they're going to do it Nowhere to be seen. Uh, so who knows? Um, it's always when there's a hype, everyone is like very quick to say, "Oh, we're going to copy it," and then it's very interesting to go in uh, a half, a couple of months later, and look at like, "Oh, but you said you're going to do it. Where is it?" So, so definitely live audio <laughs> and uh second paid podcasts uh you already mentioned spotify and uh, apple podcasts uh you know uh, made these tools available for podcasters to 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 have paid podcasts and uh audio articles audio articles right
0: yes um yeah there's there's plenty of interesting examples of this i think we saw one uh, well a version of this from NewsQuest here in the UK who was experimenting very much with um an app called Bytecast where their reporters were sent out to record, edit, and upload their own stories from the field, basically audio versions of what they were doing for exclusive content. Yet to see how that will pan out, um I think they need to do more work to kind of make it a bit more pristine. It was a bit rough around the edges when it came out. but um certainly now that they're hiring a lot more multimedia reporters, for for local news it's it's an interesting possibility but um what have you seen in the world of audio articles
1: so the two two approaches which i want to highlight is uh, the one uh, which been you know taken by the big newsrooms like wall street journal washington post or bloomberg was uh, you know um uh using one of the text to speech uh, engines out there uh, either from amazon google or, or someone else and just like going in and um, making an audio version of all articles available there is an interesting point uh, wall street journal uh, actually published a blog a couple of months ago where they said like and and they weren't the first who uh, highlighted this but basically when you put an audio uh, article also uh, and couple it with your text article uh, the amount of time how much like how much time people spend on your website will increase like people will listen to those articles so that's an interesting factor in in terms of like how to deeper engage your audience and the second approach has been like again a uk-based media like tortoise media or uh, the the danish zetland a couple of years back where they made their authors actually read the articles obviously you can do this only when you are not publishing, you know, 50 articles per day, but uh, if you're just like uh, let's say a n- slow news startup or uh, a weekly magazine or you know, um something like that. Uh so so I I really feel uh, all the articles will be coming also to smaller websites uh, in the coming years.
0: Yeah. The one to watch of course is Axel Springer who have um who want to really be leading the german speaking audio market by 2025 they've got this new audio unit to kind of um, create more audio products um assess that impact and capitalize on the business opportunities that are in there um they've invested a lot in like text to speech technology um in, uh, you know actually bought out sort of audio producing companies um so that that for me is one to watch in the in the years ahead axel springer
1: uh, in generally, the the German media market has, has is quite evolved in this regard. You got the Zeit, which uh, is is deep into podcasts. Also, they have I think audio articles as well. The Spiegel as well. Uh, you just mentioned uh, Axel Springer. So uh, there are some really good examples.
0: So is that really ambitious to want to be leading the German speaking market by 2025? Do you think that's really ambitious on Axel Springer's part?
1: It's definitely ambitious, but they can achieve it. Uh, But it will depend on the strategies. I mean, we will see at this point, it's so far away.
0: (laughs) Yeah, cool. So final question for me then is what matters in 2022? What are the things you're really going to keep your eye on?
1: I think it's going to be the things we mainly talked about already. So how is going to work from home shape out? Uh, How is it going to affect how newsrooms work together? Um, We will definitely see more and more success stories in terms of subscriptions and memberships i'm hoping to uncover some of the you know lesser known outlets in 2022 there has been a lot of talks we already talked about the big players but i think it's more important to also cover the 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 small and medium newsrooms who are like you know struggling to make it but actually they're making (laughs) making it Uh, and and definitely paid newsletters and audio will be uh, something that's it will be a no-brainer i think in 2022
0: for for myself i mean all of the above of course but i think we've seen a greater conversation on solidarity within journalism not just mental health but in terms of how to support marginalized reporters in the newsroom who don't have a, don't have a good experience there um support for journalists who go through online abuse uh, and harassment and also sort of training and and support for journalists so i think that's going to be another thing i'll keep my eye on um this coming year just in terms of internal workflow internal support and internal procedures so um listen wish you all the best with it you you know you can count on my interest in all your stories on the website uh david and um thanks for thanks for doing this with me today it's really been great to chat
1: good luck to you as well and uh yeah i'll be keeping an eye on journalism.co.uk did i did i make it right this that time perfect (laughs) okay see you Really great to talk to David
0: there and what a fantastic way to cap off the year. Just to sum up a few thoughts, this is not just about chasing bandwagons and jumping on the hottest platforms. A big part of this conversation is to also invest in areas so that when the market grows even stronger, those early adopters are in the best possible position to take full advantage. As ever, we'll keep an eye on all the big trends in the media industry next year, and I'm sure David and his colleagues at The Fix will as well. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to search and subscribe to the Journalism.co.uk podcast and the Media Insider podcast and all the main podcast platforms. As ever, you can contact me on jacob at In 2022, I really want to hear from you about the episodes you want to hear and how this podcast can better serve you. But that's all we have time for this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in the new year, but until then, have a very Merry Christmas.